CPAC 2021 with our most epic lineup yet, including Colonel Sarah Sanders, that crazy gun lady, El Senadora Ted Cruz, the first public appearance of Q, actors from the 70s you thought were dead, Bourbon, the Muppet Disney doesn't want you to see. Jeff Brain, CEO of something called Cloud Hub. Chinless Stone Jr., Sleepy Ben Carson, Crazy Larry Cutlow, and Crystal Dale. And bringing it all home, the reason your family doesn't speak anymore, President Donald J. Trump. No Zoom, no distance, no masks. Be here in person. See back 2021 only in Orlando. This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa Podcast. After a month of operating with deafening silence behind the scenes from Magistan, Donald Trump made his debut appearance of his post-presidency at the Conservative Political Action Conference on Sunday. Hello, CPAC. Do you miss me yet? Do you miss me? A lot of things going on. To so many wonderful friends, conservatives, and fellow citizens in this room and all across our country, I stand before you today to declare that the incredible journey we begun together, we went through a journey like nobody else. There's never been a journey like it. There's never been a journey so successful. We began it together four years ago, and it is far from being over. But who knows? Who knows, I may even decide to beat them for a third time, okay? If there was any doubt concerning Trump's future plans, or whether he was done with politics, he laid them to rest in Orlando by positioning himself as the present and likely future of the GOP. Liz Cheney, Mitch McConnell, and the so-called establishment wing of the party may be done with Donald Trump, but he is not going anywhere. Recent polling had Trump running at 53% if the primary were being held today with the rest of the potential field polling in single digits. According to the New York Times, 46% said that they would follow Trump to a new party if he broke away from the GOP. In short, this means that the GOP, until further notice or when Trump goes to prison, will remain the party of Donald Trump. What we will see on Sunday is we will see the, the start of, of planning for the next uh, administration. And I can tell you, uh, the people that are at the top of that list, all of them have Trump as their last name. Conspicuously absent from the year's festivities is former Vice President Mike Pence. For four years, Mr. Pence played the loyal lapdog to Donald Trump. But his refusal to support the former president's attempts to overthrow the 2020 election earned the ire of Mr. Trump and many of his supporters, including those who rioted at the Capitol, chanting, hang Mike Pence. My sources tell me he is going to be the boogeyman of CPAC. Um, You know, he is a symbol of the establishment. And this uh, conference every year is really about the grassroots, right? Um, And we know, and I know from my sources that President Trump plans to take aim at Mitch McConnell and points out all of the seats that that he claims that the party won in both the House and the Senate because of his leadership, not because of McConnell's, right? Um, It's really dividing a line between the two Republican parties 
It's just another battle in the GOP civil war. These internal party divisions were laid bare by an awkward moment at the U.S. Capitol last week when asked about Trump's presence at CPAC. House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy said that Mr. Trump should speak at the conference as a party leader. Moments later, Representative Liz Cheney, who is the number three House Republican and who backed Mr. Trump's impeachment last month, added that, I don't think he should be playing a role in the future of the party. While couched in professional politeness, it belied any attempts by party leadership to maintain a unified front. Yes, he should. Congresswoman Cheney? Yeah, that's up to CPAC. I've, I've been clear in my views about uh, President Trump and, and the extent to which following the extent to which following January 6th, uh, I don't I don't believe that he should be playing a role in the future of the party or the country. For the gathered presidential wannabes, the yearly CPAC gathering is like a TED conference for right-wing dingbats and extremists from across the MAGA kingdom, but it represents a first chance to test their respective political messages and their appeal in a post-Trump era before a sympathetic crowd of the party's hardcore conservative base. Defend our liberties. We're going to make sure we have a great moral foundation to stand upon. Uh, And we're going to use all of that to create an incredible economy and an incredible country. Uh, That requires very little governance because it's a moral people and they can govern themselves. Uh, So I think taking that message to a new generation uh, that's been deceived by this outrage culture that's been told that... uh, conservatives are are racist or are bigoted that can't be further from the truth we are the big tent party but are also the party that welcomes diversity of thought Uh, we want to have a debate with you we don't want to cancel you but like the Yankees playing a home game in the Bronx or Bruce in New Jersey Donald Trump doing his MAGA shtick in Orlando is as close to home field advantage as one gets in conservative politics There may be other voices there, but there won't be any oxygen left in the room for them to breathe. The trick for the rest of the potential field will be to stand out beyond pledges of fealty to the former president and echoing Trump's baseless conspiracy theories that the election was stolen. And it sounds like yet another of her 1,000 excuses as to why what happened happened. But there probably are instances where you've got a very uh, abusive spouse. It could be the wife beating up the husband or the husband beating up the wife, as the case may be. Or it could be, uh, okay, Grandpa, if you don't vote the way we want, you know, you're not going to get your insulin this afternoon or whatever else it is. The GOP remains incredibly divided between Trump's hardcore MAGA base, who view the former president in almost messianic terms, and see any deviation from his divisive messaging as traitorous and establishment Republicans like Mitch McConnell, Liz Cheney, and Adam Kinzinger who wish to purge the party of Trump and his highly toxic brand of politics. It's really time for the sake of democracy for Republicans or even just former former Republicans who still claim to be conservatives holding on to the idea that the party is salvageable need to reorient themselves to the new reality because we can't afford the risk if I am, you know, if I'm right, then, you know, Ted, Ted Cruz's smug, callous, smarmy speech, you know, it was as demonstrative in my mind as it was reprehensible. This is the direction of the party. Um, There's not enough gravitas or fortitude behind the scenes 
to right the ship. And I think that we have to figure out what we're going to do about that. The latter rightfully believes that despite Trump's popularity amongst the party's grassroots base, he is nonetheless a pariah on the national level and will keep the party from winning the White House in 2024. Right now, though, they are focused on 2022 and recapturing both the House and Senate, which Democrats currently hold with a razor-thin majority. But to do so requires a disciplined political message focused not on Donald Trump, but the potential overreach of the Biden administration. Well, look, I, my, my point is what happened in the past is not something relevant now. We're moving forward. We've got a new administration. It's a very left-wing administration. We need to make sure the American people understand uh, that this is not what Republicans stand for. Uh, I want to say this about the president. Having chosen the progressive route, he certainly made it a lot easier for me to unify my members in opposition. For Donald Trump, who was the conference's Sunday afternoon headliner, returning to CPAC is akin to a political homecoming, and he looks to use the opportunity to reset himself as a political outsider, hell-bent on draining the Washington swamp polluted by Joe Biden and out-of-touch Washington elites. If that seems patently ridiculous, well, it is. But these people aren't normal. They're brainwashed, born-again MAGA soldiers waiting for marching orders from their general. In the immortal words of William Wallace, freedom! Trump will take a victory lap and bask in the adoration and adulation of the crowd while conveniently sidestepping the thornier questions that accused him to leave the presidency in shame. At CPAC, he gets to rewrite history and feed the computer what will be his new set of talking points. It will feed conservative media and Fox News and basically begin the next political cycle. That none of it is true matters, not one iota. It's what people want to believe, and by and large, this crowd wants to believe in Donald Trump. I will confidently say that President Trump from his desk at Mar-a-Lago will accomplish more for America in the next four years than Joe Biden and Kamala Harris could ever dream of. It's also an opportunity to push red meat topics that resonate strongly with the party base. Thus, the name around this year's conference, CPAC, America Uncancelled. Conservative media and your insane uncle all seem to be in constant tizzy about the so-called cancel culture. Look out, Mr. Potato Head. You're next. I, I'm sorry. I think now he's going by Potato X. Can't be Mr. Potato. See, to me, the whole concept of the Mr. Potato Head was he could move the parts around. I mean, Mr. Potato Head was America's first transgender doll, and even he got canceled. The conference, beyond its coronation of Donald Trump as a party boss and acting as a beauty pageant for the next generation of conservative machers, is also a barometer of what the right wing is thinking about the here and now. And cancel culture as a theme is literally everywhere. The right has created a paradigm where anybody who disagrees with them is engaging in a kind of intellectual McCarthyism. Speaking of being canceled, the last six weeks, the radical left, their corporate allies, the liberal media, 
have tried to cancel me, censor me, expel me, shut me down, stop me from representing the people of Missouri, stop me from representing you, and guess what? I'm here today, I'm not going anywhere, and I'm not backing down. Not a chance. Not a chance. And neither are you, am I right? This fused closely with both Fox News and Josh Hawley's obsession with PC culture and the perceived anti-conservative bias within big tech. But thanks to the fact that much of the party now engages in conspiratorial group think and has adopted QAnon and other extremist groups into the GOP's big tent, CPAC itself had to cancel some of its own speakers. What we need is a new nationalism, a new agenda to make the rule of the people real in this country and give the people America back. Give it back to them. Give it back to you. No more ruled by oligarchs, ruled by the people. That's what we've got to do. And I can tell you how I would start. I would start by breaking up the big tech corporations. Just break them up. Break them up in the name of the rule of the people. Though CPAC did not initially state who they booted from their list of speakers, the decision came hours after Media Matters published a story about the panelist Young Pharaoh, an online commentator who has called Judaism a complete lie and claimed that all the censorship and social media platforms are controlled by CCP and Israel through Jewish CEOs and corrupt Democrats. Matt is the chairman of the American Conservative Union. You hear that? This is from CPAC 2021. Matt Schlatt also said this about George Soros, that he's the architect of the destruction of Western civilization. Now, I said the same shit, but the only difference is kick the fuck off. I got publicly slandered and, and lied on. And I got publicly motherfucking lynched for saying the same shit that the fucking chairman said himself. Okay, but they but they want to say racism don't exist. And now for the main event. Donald Trump's performance at CPAC and the rallying of the Republican Party around the MAGA cause has left the GOP bereft of any real moral compass. As I stated earlier, they actually stand for nothing beyond their fealty to one man. So they have shackled themselves to the Donald in the hopes that they can keep the party together long enough where he either goes away on his own or goes to prison. The first part is wishful thinking by anyone who thinks Trump would voluntarily give up the spotlight and adoration of tens of millions of disciples, along with the power of fundraising capabilities that come with being the GOP's standard bearer. For the Democratic Party, this is cause for celebration, as it means the opposition party will remain wedded to a psychopathic thug loathed by half the electorate who has single-handedly been responsible for the GOP losing both the House and the Senate during his term. 
But the fact that he's strutting around like the long lost king returning from battle is also troubling for obvious reasons. The senators who voted to acquit Trump in the Senate abdicated their duty, kicking the responsibility to hold Trump accountable back to the courts. It's here, most likely in a Manhattan courtroom, where Donald Trump's political life will finally come to an end because of crimes he committed, not in office, but in the years prior as he built an empire of lies and debt. Today's episode will reflect that intense effort to bring Donald Trump to justice. My next guest on Maya Culpa is the veteran journalist and Daily Beast senior reporter Lachlan Cartwright. His beat covers everything from the courts to Fox News, and he sits at the center of one of the biggest stories in politics, the likely indictment of Donald Trump by the Manhattan District Attorney, which I expect to happen sooner rather than later. Cartwright is a total pro, eminently sourced, fair-handed, accurate, and willing to follow a story no matter where it goes. So let's listen now to that conversation. Now, earlier this week, you wrote a story for the Daily Beast outlining how Manhattan DA prosecutors have expanded their probe from Donald Trump into his immediate family and Don Jr. in particular. Can you discuss with my listeners what you think is the most damning evidence that they currently have against Don Jr.? Well, good day, Michael. Firstly, thanks for having me on. Um, I think what's critical here is to remember that this investigation started with the Stormy Daniels hush money payoffs, which hush money payoff, which you know more than I know and more than the listeners know about it. But it's expanded out since then, uh, and it's really looking at. Um, how some of the uh, assets were uh, valued by the Trump organization to obtain tax benefits, which, you know, as we know, would be potential fraud. And the people that would have visibility into that would be the likes of Donnie Jr. and Alan Weiselberg. And that's why this investigation is really uh, zeroing in on, on what they knew and when they knew it. Well, that's yes, that's true. But specifically with Don Jr., in all of your reporting that you have going on, What's his sort of relationship into the current increased investigation by the DA as well as now they brought on, as I'm sure you're aware, they brought on a, an ace, right, prosecutor, former prosecutor at the office and just an all-in-all-out, um, you know, fantastic attorney um, by the name of Mark Pomerantz. Sure. I mean, what's significant here also this week, uh, they got a hold finally of, uh, the taxes, uh, Trump's tax returns that he had been fighting, uh, so hard, um, to make sure it did not fall in the hands of Cy Vance. An investigation like this, uh, former process that we've been speaking to have told us they really need, uh, someone with the roadmap to be able to help uh, describe some of these transactions, how they were made, uh, what the thinking was behind them, uh, and so that's why a lot of questions are being asked now about Alan Weisselberg and Johnny Jr., who play such a pivotal role in the Trump organization. Right. Well, as you're aware that when Donald Trump became president and they placed the Trump organization into the trust, right, where, of course, the president cannot be, um, despite he was anyway, <laughs> right? I mean, Donald Trump doesn't care about the rules. You're supposed to place all of your assets into a blind trust. Well, the three people that were involved in the running of the trust were Alan Weisselberg, sort of at the head of it, 
along with Don Jr. and Eric Trump as the three individuals. And of course, Ivanka had to be left out of that because she took a role in the White House as an advisor. So the three of them obviously have quite a bit of information that the prosecutors are notably interested in talking about. But, you know, I brought up to you a few seconds ago the name of Mark Pomerantz. And, you know, the hiring of a veteran prosecutor like Mark Pomerantz to run the Trump investigation is a possible sign, at least it is to me, that the DA's office is closer to issuing indictments than, pe- than you know, people previously thought or people even believe. Now with the release of Trump's tax records and the related documents, what are your sources telling you about the pace of the investigation and how soon we could possibly see Trump or associates in court? Look, it's certainly heating up. Uh, I, you know, I don't have a specific timeline for you. As you know, uh, Cy Vance and uh, the prosecutors in his office have done a very good job of holding uh, a lot of this information close to the chest. But certainly the, the, the introduction of Pomerantz here is fascinating, particularly this late in the game. It's somewhat unusual to bring in someone of Mark Pomerantz's caliber um, unless you know things are sort of moving uh, in a certain direction. Uh, now, this is a prosecutor who's put away, you know, mafia uh, bosses. He he is the real deal. So certainly things appear to be uh, heating up. Well, uh, now you said direction. What direction are you referring to? The direction of the investigation uh, in terms of, you know, now that they are, have these tax returns and now that they'll be going through, you know, such a wide variety of uh, financial uh, documents, um, this this allows them to you know progress with with the investigation. Right. So it's not just Mark Pomerantz that my my understanding has been brought in in order to assist the DA's office. And yes, it is extremely rare that an office with four hundred lawyers would bring in outside um, assistance. But when you have somebody like a veteran prosecutor, a a, a guy who is known as a real serious heavyweight in the area. Couple that with what I understand the DA's office also did. They brought on an outside accounting firm in order to you know, sift through what appears to be a million plus pages worth of tax documents and other related work product documents for the Trump organization, for Donald Trump, I guess for the kids, as well as the multitude of ancillary corporations that they have. What, do you, what are your sources telling you about this? Yeah, that, that's correct. They engaged this consulting firm uh, some time ago, um, you know, obviously with the view, uh, the optimistic view that they would one day get a hold of these tax returns and knowing that they would need a certain element of expertise uh, and the, the firepower uh, really to be able to, to go through them and start trying to join the dots. Um, and so uh, together with, with Pomerantz and this consulting firm. I would say it will be quicker than most people believe because the consulting company will ultimately find, for example, one aspect inside the tax return that appears to be, let's just say, of a criminal nature. And by doing that, it sort of guides them to other documents for 
previous years or for, for the future years, depending upon which document that they find it in. And they're able to use that within which to track you know, where it started, how it ended, what sorts of benefits came and went as a result. So I do believe that you're going to see things heat up much quicker than what many on television and in the media are saying, which is that, well, you know, these are very difficult cases. And because there's a million documents, you don't need to charge somebody with 20 counts in order to effectuate the end result. You only need one count, though I don't believe that they will only bring one count. I think the goal is to bring all the counts that the DA's office is possibly looking at. But I don't believe that you need to have 50 counts, right? I think that you can have five or 10, and that certainly would suffice in order to bring in obviously way more than just Donald Trump, more than just Alan Weisselberg, more than just some of the other, you know, people involved, Don Jr., Eric, Ivanka, um, other people that are somehow related to each of these various different entities. Your thoughts? Yeah, look, I think something that's important to, to remember here is that Vance is a meticulous prosecutor, but he has been burnt a couple of times before with high profile investigations. I'm thinking about Dominic Strauss-Kahn. I'm thinking about Harvey Weinstein. So I think, you know, with this, they're really going to want to make sure they've done all their homework. They've done a proper, proper job, gone through uh, every one of those documents. I don't think that they're in uh, a massive rush. They want to get this done properly. Uh, so it, you know, it doesn't fall apart, you know, at the last minute. Hugely embarrassing to the Manhattan DA's office. Yes, I totally agree with you. Hate doing taxes? There are a lot of people out there who would love to do them for you. But I'm not talking about tax specialists. I'm talking about cyber criminals and identity thieves. During tax season, your personal information, like your name and your social security number, may be emailed and shared more than usual. Criminals can steal information from your devices and sell it on the dark web or use it to commit other crimes, even years down the road. Tax season is a great time to be a cyber criminal, making it the best time to help protect yourself by using Norton 360 with LifeLock. I use it myself to protect my information for prying eyes and to practice good data security. This tax season, opt into cyber safety. Help protect against cyber criminals from stealing the information shared on your devices spying on your Wi-Fi, or stealing your identity. Now, no one can prevent all cybercrime or identity theft or monitor all transactions, but don't let cybercriminals make tax season extra taxing. Save 25% or more off your first year of Norton 360 with LifeLock at Norton.com slash Cohen. That's 25% off at Norton.com slash Cohen. Now, let me ask you this. It seems at the moment that there are two different channels of accountability for Trump and his cronies. The first is through the criminal courts and the ongoing investigation from the Manhattan DA, as well as Tish James in the attorney general's office here in New York, as well as what's happening in Georgia, in Fulton County. The other channel, though, is the coming flood of civil lawsuits that are being filed. You recently wrote about Dominion Voting Systems lawsuit against Mike Lindell. And he's, of course, the My Pillow guy. 
Can you explain to my listeners the scope of Dominion's suit, who they are suing, and what they're ultimately seeking? Yeah, I mean, look, Dominion and Smartmatic, which is another one of these voting organizations, were pillared uh, in the press by the likes of Donald Trump, Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, the MyPillow bloke, Mike Lindell, as you mentioned. Uh, they were accused of uh, you know, helping to, uh, you know, steal the election. They were just wild conspiracy theories, uh, defamatory ones, uh, that led to Dominion, uh, executives of Dominion receiving death threats. They're alleging that it's, you know, resulted in a loss of their reputation, a loss of business. So they are now going ahead and they've, they've as of now, filed three lawsuits, one against Rudy Giuliani, one against Sidney Powell, uh, one against, uh, Mike Lindell for billions of dollars. And uh, my sources are telling me there's more to come, that they will potentially action against the likes of Fox News, certain uh, Fox News anchors that perpetuated these myths and uh, voting fraud narratives on, um, and Newsmax, again, another uh, organization, and potentially Donald Trump uh, himself, although that is, is yet to be seen. Well, why shouldn't it be Donald Trump? He is the perpetuator in chief of all of these lies, right? Um, he's the one who starts it, and then it just gets promoted by his far-right MAGA warrior, right, media folks. So let's just talk for a quick second about Newsmax, right? Newsmax is Chris Ruddy. Chris Ruddy has been friends with Donald Trump for many, many years, and he was an, certainly very assistive in promoting many of the falsehoods that got Trump the nomination as the Republican um, and then ultimately was involved in, you know, the anti-Hillary campaign that gave Trump the presidency. Why should Donald Trump then be once again Teflon and everything slips off him and then they go after Chris Ruddy? Now, I think they should go after Chris Ruddy. But why is Donald Trump getting another pass? Because the same crap that he did to me, he's now doing to others, right? I've always said that Donald Trump speaks in code. He doesn't just come right out and say it, though I think in this specific case, he was very clear in saying that the election has been stolen, right? Stop the steal. Yeah, look, I, I think firstly, as we both know, uh, Donald Trump has, uh, you know, more uh, civil lawsuits and criminal matters pending uh, than than many other uh, Americans at this point. Getting back to Dominion, I, I think their strategy from the people that I speak to uh, around uh, their legal efforts is that the main characters here were Giuliani, were Powell, uh, were Lindell. Um, and by going after them, they certainly um, uh, show, you know, Donald Trump's uh, involvement here. But they certainly haven't ruled anyone out and anyone in. Um, so, you know, they may uh, file um, against him. I, I just know from my reporting that it looks uh, like Fox will get hit uh, and Newsmax before Trump himself. Now, because right now Fox has not been included. They have not amended the complaint in order to include Fox and anchors. Am I right about that? So, so Smartmatic, who is the, the other uh, voting company, have filed uh, a lawsuit against, uh, against Fox and uh, a number of their anchors who perpetuated uh, these uh, lies around the election. Dominion, at this point, uh, have not. But uh, again, you know, my reporting leads me to believe that is only a, a matter of time. Right. If I was counsel to, to Dominion or if I was being asked to advise his counsel, um, on this lawsuit, I would immediately file an amended complaint. 
I would obviously include Fox. Which Fox anchors do you think are most guilty and should be included in that lawsuit? Well, I mean, Lou Dobbs, um, who since this matter uh, really kicked off, has been, uh, you know, iced basically by Fox, although I understand they're still paying him. Um, uh, In addition to that, um, uh, you have uh, the likes of uh, Sean Hannity uh, and uh, Laura Ingram. uh, you know, there, there was a, a number of Fox anchors who uh, really pushed uh, this this narrative and gave it airtime. You know, what really stinks about this as well, and it's sort of infuriating, is Donald Trump creates a lie. Somebody like Hannity or Ingram or Tucker Carlson or a whole slew of others, Newsmax, Chris Ruddy, um, Lou Dobbs, they all start to promote this lie. And again, I always talk about this on the podcast. I talk about this when I'm on television. Donald Trump is a very Stalinistic approach to this, where he will repeat a lie over and over and over again, because the more that you tell the lie, the more people will start to believe it. And then when you have individuals like these guys from Fox continuing to promote the lie, knowing that it's a lie, because they know that the guts were not taken out of these machines and that, you know, that they did not steal the election from Trump. He lost fair and square. But what happens is all of a sudden people start hearing it again and again and again. And it's very much like the McDonald's theme jingle song, right? Where the two old beef patty special sauce, um, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onion, John, sesame seed bun. It just sticks in your, it sticks in your fucking head and you can't get rid of it. Because it's just said so many times, over and over and over. And you start to believe that as the truth. Yeah, and this was an endless loop from, you know, Janine Perro's uh, show to Mario uh, Bertoramo's show to, to Dobbs. Uh, this was an endless loop on Fox. They continued to put this to air. They continued to uh, uh, perpetuate this myth that the election was stolen, blaming Dominion, coming out with wild conspiracy theories about Hugo Chavez, who's been dead, obviously, for some time in Venezuela. Um, and, and then it was egged on, you know, by Giuliani, by Sidney Powell and his wild uh, news conferences. So Dominion have a very strong case, as do a Smartmatic. You know, I'm almost thinking that maybe I should end up suing Giuliani and Trump on another. You know, I already have a multi case against, you know, Trump right now, a civil case. Uh, maybe I should bring another one for the attacks that he had on me and my credibility, you know, calling me a convicted liar, uh, as well as a host of other things by putting out tweets that put me in the same sort of danger that happened to the folks over at Dominion, where, you know, his followers start to um, they start to target you for your uh, acknowledgement of Trump's participation in this multitude of criminality aspects that are being, you know, looked at both by the attorney general of New York, as well as the district attorney of New York. You know, I don't know. I'm just thinking, you know, while I'm sitting here talking to you, everything that you're telling me that dominion is looking at as a result of Trump's actions and behavior, um, they have, they have consequence, but there's a similarity in terms of what happened to me with him and continues to happen to me from Trump um, that is taking place with Dominion. Maybe I reach out to his lawyers. It's not a bad idea. I, I went to J school, not law school, so I can't, I can't advise you on that one, mate. <laughs> well, I was just rambling. I was more like interested, I guess, in hearing myself speak than, uh, than anything. But let me ask you this. Do you see civil litigation as potentially a more effective weapon in combating far-right extremism in that 
It has the ability to put the bad actors themselves out of business. Yeah, I look, I, I certainly think some of these wild claims that were being aired on some of these networks straight after the election, um, you know, as we've mentioned on, on Newsmax and, and One America is another one and, and on Fox, you know, that, that, that kind of stuff, it gets into people's heads, as you were just saying, it gets regurgitated time and time again. Um, and then you look at the events that occurred on the Capitol. Um, and you cannot suggest that a number of those people um, were, were ginned up, you know, by the words of Donald Trump, by Giuliani and by their favorite Fox anchors. Um, and so I think this type of litigation, you know, tries to draw a line in the sand, tries to hold some of these people accountable. You know, I saw on television, they had the gentleman who is, or I should say the individual who is the head of the Proud Boys. And they were interviewing him and showing him that one of his members had somehow obtained one of the police shields. Um, and they showed him smashing it through the window, which ultimately obtained access to the doors that everybody then started flooding the Capitol. I'm curious as to why the government, after I heard it's like, what, 10 or $15 million or so worth of damage that was done to the Capitol. I wonder if they're going to bring civil actions against not just him individually, but by these various right-wing extremist groups as a whole and holding them all responsible. Because, you know, in, in law, you can hold others responsible for specific acts, whether it would be as a RICO claim or whether it would be as um, part of a conspiracy within which to, you know, create this type of scenario. What's, what are you hearing from from this? Oh, I haven't done that much reporting on, on that element of this. Um, what I will say is I think the job the Capitol Police and the FBI have done since uh, those, uh, you know, insane events on January 6th to bring criminal charges uh, against people. Uh, you know, they have done a bang up job and, and those people will, you know, have their day in court. Right. Because what people have to acknowledge today is we live in a very high tech society. You can't walk down the street without a camera capturing your image. So the notion that these folks were not going to be filmed and then ultimately identified as the insurrectionists that stormed the Capitol um, is preposterous. And the notion that they would even try to use that as some type of a defense to me is just silly. But what I also thought was really somewhat odd was when this individual from the Proud Boys was saying that, first and foremost, we were invited to the Capitol by the president and that this was not a coordinated effort. Now, I know you did a shit ton of investigation into what was going on by these various different um, right-wing extremist organizations. What type of coordination did your investigation uncover? Yeah, you know, there was obviously uh, an element of coordination between some of these groups. But I want to take a step back for a second and really think about, uh, you know, who who gin these people up, you know, who, who dropped the idea into their minds that the election was rigged or was stolen. And, and that was Donald Trump. And he was, he was, you know, feeding the seeds of that, uh, even before the election. If you look back on some of those press conferences, all the breadcrumbs were there. Um, you know, that this, uh, you know, type of thing could have, could have kicked off. 
and between him and Giuliani and and you know, other people in his orbit, um, you know, they're the ones that really incited this. I you know I believe, and certainly the reporting suggests as much. Um, you know, these groups you know got the idea from from someone from somewhere. Well, it's funny because you use the word breadcrumbs, which of course reminds everybody of you know the story of Hansel and Gretel. Now, Donald Trump did that. You're exactly correct. He laid the breadcrumbs for this massive group of insurrectionists to attack the Capitol. And remember, when he was standing up there and talking about how they have to take back this country, that we have to fight, and so on. Do you remember what he said? He said, I'll meet you at the Capitol. So he was basically bullshitting them, which is, of course, what Trump does, right? Everything that's out of his mouth is a lie. There was no way that he was going with this group into the Capitol, right? Not because he didn't want to, but because he was afraid. He was afraid that he could get hurt. So who knows what would happen with the police? You know, it, it, that's and his he was not even worried about his reputation it was more his physical safety. But instead, he tells them, go to the Capitol. I'm going to meet you there. And then on top of that, what does he do? He gets into his Secret Service vehicle. He gets into the beast. And he goes back to the White House where he turns on the television. And he's watching this massive insurrection of people smashing down doors and windows and, you know, violating our nation's capital and enjoying it. Hi, folks. Michael Cohen here. And we've got an amazing sponsor for this episode. The Jordan Harbinger Show. Things can get pretty intense discussing American politics. So if you need a break from the news cycle and want to hear incredible storytelling that is both fascinating and actionable, you have to check it out. The show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests. And there are a ton of episodes you'll find interesting since you're a fan of this show. Check out last week's episode with the brilliant financial writer Scott Galloway, who discusses what work will be like in a post-pandemic world. I also found time to catch up on some old episodes and found this December 2019 interview with a former KGB spy in America. It was absolutely fascinating. There's an episode for everyone, though, no matter what you're into. The show covers stories like how a professional art forger somehow made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia. Jordan's also done an episode all about birth control and how it can alter the partners we pick and how going on or off the pill can change elements of our personalities. The podcast covers a lot, but one constant is his ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. I promise you, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life, whether it's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity or just a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. We really enjoy the show, and we think you will as well. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, speaking of lawsuits, what can you tell my listeners about Lindell's lawsuit against the suit for claiming that he had a torrent affair with 30 Rock Jane Krakowski. 
um, not that they're guardian of the New York Times, but most of the time the, the mail gets set right about 75% of the time. That's how much I, that's my prediction. But how did they blow this one about Lindell and Krakowski? And what's going to be the fallout of that? Yeah, this is a really curious one uh, because, as you say, uh, the Daily Mail, uh, for the most part, you know, usually get, get uh, stories, uh, you know, pretty, pretty much bang on. Um, in this situation, the two parties both denied on the record even knowing each other. There were no photos uh, of the two of them uh, together. Uh, the story had uh, a number of anonymous uh, sources. Um, and then um, Lindell Action did. He actually retained Charles Harder, who, uh, if you want to come full circle, is uh, the president's or an attorney that took down Gawker and, and has also done a lot of the bidding uh, for the president, including trying to shut down Mary Trump's book, a story I broke uh, last summer and going to great efforts to try and um, uh, to try and gag her and to stop the publication of her book. So uh, Lindell um, has retained uh, Charles Harder in this matter. He's suing the mail. Um, and it'll be curious to see where, where this one goes because it's such an odd coupling of people. You, you, you wouldn't think someone would just dream this up uh, and you would think that the mayor would have done some reporting um, to try and confirm it. So this is one to, to watch this space on. Yeah, well, let's not forget, um, you know, early on in 2011, I was successful in killing the story on Stormy Daniels and Trump just by both parties denying the allegations. Now, just because you deny the allegations doesn't mean that it didn't happen, as, of course, we know Stormy and Trump had this relationship. Um, I have no idea whether it's true or not. I don't see somebody like Krakowski being interested in somebody like, um, you know, my pillow guy. Um, Maybe I mean, she was getting a discount on the pillows. I, I, I don't know. Maybe she had a promo code. Uh, for for the for the pillows, it's a very pairing <laughs> of people. Just, it really is. I mean, there's always a promo code for a discount on the my pillow thing. That's just part of that's just part of his shtick. But yeah, it's interesting that they brought in Charles Harder, and it's Trump that recommended Charles Harder uh, to Mike Lindell, knowing that Charles Harder was involved in the whole Stormy Daniels matter um, on behalf of Trump. Originally, he was supposed to be my lawyer, but then ultimately decided that he wanted to represent the president. And then he brought in a friend of his who ended up representing me as we dealt with the defamation case of um, Stormy Daniels, as we dealt with the entire, you know, post um Stormy Daniels release of the information that was all done via, you know, Charles Harder, who happens to be, um, you know, a lawyer that's well versed in this area. What's, what's your prediction on it? What do you think will ultimately happen? Well, I've spoken to people over at the mail and they, they stand by their story. They stand by uh, their reporting. So, um, like I said, we'll, we'll have to, to, to watch, watch this space, whether it heads towards depots and, and discovery, um, uh, you know, we'll we'll have to see if they get a hold of you know people's cell phones and and try and you know ascertain the the truth and legitimacy to the story um, that way, or if the matter gets settled out of court. As you know, uh, a lot of these cases get settled out of court because litigation is costly and time consuming. Publications, you know, sometimes don't want to have to deal with all the aggravation. It doesn't mean they admit the story's wrong; they just want it to go away. So again, we'll have to watch this space. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Now. During your investigations and you, I mean, you're really very prolific at this. What are you hearing from your sources about Rudy Giuliani, somebody who I absolutely detest? 
He's so obviously compromised, but seems to be skating away from the Trumps with clean hands. Now, is there any talk of a reckoning for Rudy? And if so, on what possible charges are you hearing? Well, I mean, we just touched upon the Dominion legal efforts. I mean, they've sued uh, Giuliani in the ballpark of a billion dollars. You know, I I think that there will be uh, some accountability for uh, his claims uh, about the about the election and and really you know fueling this stop the steal movement, which he was front and, and center of. Well, isn't there also investigation into the fact that he was representing improperly foreign entities in violation of the FARA Act? Yeah, I, on that one, I'm not I'm not too sure. I haven't I haven't done that much reporting there. Right, because my understanding is that it's another topic that they're looking into. All of these contracts with um, foreign governments, you know, making allegations that based upon his close proximity and relationship to Trump, how he ended up with whether it was a, a Saudi, a Qatari, a Middle Eastern um, contracts in order to represent them and not having filed as a foreign uh, agent for um, lobbying purposes. I understand that that's also a topic of great discussion going on right now. As, as we know, you know, Giuliani and, and a number of the people who situated themselves around the Trumps for the entire presidency were, were, were grifters, you know, were there to, to, to enrich themselves. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly uh, Giuliani would be towards the top of that list. Yeah, I'll never forget when I first... Um, Right after the inauguration, I remember I sat down with Giuliani and one of the topics of conversations, he wanted to know whether I would be interested in coming and joining him at Giuliani Partners. Of course, because of my close proximity at the time to the president, that this would have been a great opportunity for him because he had lost a substantial amount of business over the years because there's something very wrong going on inside of Rudy's head. I mean, you know, whether it's the chemicals that he's using to color his hair as they're dripping down the side of his face, or maybe it's just too much alcohol, or um, maybe it's some sort of dementia that he's going through. But when you watch him on television, that's not the same Rudy Giuliani that people, you know, came to respect post 9-11 when he was, you know, the mayor here in New York, when he was cogent and he was responsible. He's completely irresponsible. He's completely out of his mind, screaming, yelling. His eyes look like they're ready to fall out of his head. Remember when you were a kid, you had those stupid glasses with the slinkies attached to the eyes that fall out? That's what he looks like when he gets himself all fucking hot and heavy. And you can't figure out. Now, speaking of speaking of that, the old Rudy Giuliani never, ever would have fallen for what happened with Sasha Baron Cohen. You agree with that? Yeah, look, something has been amiss there for some time. I certainly don't want to start speculating on anyone's mental health. Um, but, you know, it's clear if you watch any of those uh, press conferences or uh, TV appearances that something uh, is amiss. Well, I'm definitely not trying to come up with a diagnosis. I'm neither a psychologist or a medical doctor. Um, but at the same time, you watch somebody's behavior on television or um, when you're listening to him on the air and you say, yeah, something is really wrong. There's something very significantly wrong with this man. And I'm wondering if any of your sources have provided you with any information on anything regarding Rudy. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to say I can't enlighten you on that one, Michael. 
Well, I think you're going to have to take up that as a, uh, you know, as the next topic in order to take a look at, because I don't care what anybody says. The guy's out of his fucking mind. There's something very, very wrong with him. And um, I'm, I'm certain that if he sat down for some type of a psychological test right now, he would probably get at best a D plus, maybe a C minus. But you recently reported about ratings woes at Fox News. How much of this is a natural shift from the 24-7 Trump shit show circus to a more, um, let's call it stable Biden atmosphere? And how much of it is self-inflicted? If you can, discuss with me what's going on over there and how you see it shaking out. Yeah, it, Fox News is an interesting one. Um, they're having a bit of an identity crisis uh, post the election. Uh, and it all really stemmed from their election night call to call Arizona uh, for Biden, which enraged uh, a lot of their viewers. And although it was the correct call, um, but that certainly led to a bleeding of viewers to some of their uh, rivals, in, including uh, Newsmax. Uh, and since then, uh, they have taken a hit uh, in, in the ratings. Now, to be fair to Fox, um, you know, you would expect in a climate like this after you know, uh, Donald Trump loses the election, um, that they would lose some of their viewership. It's just a natural progression after uh, an election. But um, the executives there have been made nervous by um, by the likes of Newsmax and One America. Uh, Rupert Murdoch, I've reported, has, ta- has been taking on uh, a bit more of a hands-on role. He returned uh, from Oxfordshire, where he's been waiting out the pandemic uh, to help um, uh, steer the ship. Um, and that has resulted in a number of changes. For instance, Martha McCallum, who was their 7 p.m. anchor, uh, was moved to 3 p.m., and that news hour has become uh, an opinion-led uh, hour. So, you know, there is some nervousness uh, over there about what direction things take um, now that Biden is, is president. Right. So are the viewers that they've lost – are they just simply not engaging anymore because the fun shit show circus of Trump and company have sort of gone away, even though Donald Trump doesn't want it to go away, that it's kind of gone away from this 24-7 news cycle? Or have they gone elsewhere? Now, you brought up OANN. You brought up Newsmax. Um, talk to me about that. Yeah, look, I think there's a couple of things that are going on here. Uh, a number of a number of viewers, a large wave of viewers, have looked for alternatives. Um, again, angered by that uh, call about uh, Arizona, um, and you can see that in the programming uh, on Fox since the election. The news hours, so the daytime hours, have uh, slightly morphed more into uh, opinion type programming, where you'll have a clip from. Uh, the previous night's uh, Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity uh, being played as an intro to then have a number of talking heads talk about that, as opposed to Fox actually covering a, a story down the line as they would in the, the Shep, uh, Smith days. Um, so I think, uh, you know, they've been abandoned by um, viewers who are trying out an alternative. Some of those have started to come back. And, you know, Fox has its boogeyman again in, in Joe Biden. Well, let's just talk about the, the Arizona call. Why is it that people were so angry that they called it too early? I would just say, big shit. It doesn't change the outcome of the overall general election, right? I mean, you know, just because they called Arizona, 
people standing in line to vote, let's say in California or in Florida or in Texas, they're not changing their vote because Fox News called Arizona early. Why is it that that was the big issue that so many of their alleged viewers were angered about that made them pull away from Fox? Well, the viewers didn't want to hear that. (laughs) They didn't want to hear that Joe Biden had won such a key state. Um, And, you know, they took it out with their uh, remote controls. Um, You know, I think it's a it's a decision that, again, it was correct. Um, Both of the people on their uh, decision desk have uh, been moved on from the network as a result of the decision. There's been renewed pressure on uh, the two top executives, Suzanne Scott and Jay Wallace, and they're making a number of uh, these changes to try and uh, win back uh, viewers. But, you know, those viewers didn't want to hear that. You know, they wanted to hear that Trump had won. And, uh, you know, they have they have moved away because of it. Right. But they didn't just want to hear about that. Remember the lie that was being perpetuated about the mail-in ballots that were sitting in boxes underneath tables that were clearly marked Trump ballots. And the allegation, remember that, was that, you know, they had separated out the Trump ballots, put them into cardboard boxes that were supposed to be shredded and destroyed. Now, that they want to listen to, which was created by allegedly one person who said that they saw this and that they didn't have the actual proof for it, but that they know it to be true. And yet they promoted that lie over and over again. So the fact that they called Arizona early based upon analytics and algorithms that they had been employing in order to make determinations based upon the number of votes cast versus the number of potential votes, that's enough to get them to leave. Then it doesn't sound to me that they're really that invested into Fox. Look, uh, you know, I I, I think that uh, if you watch a lot of Fox and and I I have to as part of this gig, some days it's an alternative universe. Um, You know, major news events that have been carried on the LA networks uh, they pull away from and they talk about cancel culture or, you know, big tech cracking down. Um, so, you know, it, it is, it is, uh, somewhat of a different world on, on that network. Yeah, it's, it is. Well, let me ask you a question. Um, let's talk about the Trump news network. And it's something that I've talked about many, many times, um, on television, uh, as well as in the press that I truly believe that Trump's anger towards Fox using Arizona as the, we'll call it the the basis for his anger, is really nothing more than a guise of pulling away viewers from Fox and bringing them to this network that he's intending on creating. And my, my belief is it's going to be with Newsmax because of his close relationship with um, Chris Ruddy. Uh, of course, it could be with OANN, whichever one has a platform that he could benefit most from. What's your, what are you hearing, if anything, on that topic? Look, there's been a lot of speculation about this. Um, you know, it, it, it takes a, a lot of work and a lot of infrastructure to set up, uh, you know, a network uh, of, of these calibers. Um, you know, I think the more likelihood is, you know, he, him pairing with um, other operators who are out there as opposed to setting up Trump TV uh, from scratch, but he is going to need a platform. You know, he's been deplatformed uh, by uh, the likes of, of Twitter. 
So, you know, to keep this message going and he's, you know, the star attraction at CPAC this weekend, as we know, to keep that momentum going, he is going to need uh, some type uh, of a platform, some type of an outlet um, to, to keep this, to keep this uh, you know, oxygen and, and keep this um, movement going. But it's an easy sale if you're somebody like a Chris Ruddy or an OANN to give up a substantial portion of your company to Donald Trump if, in fact, that he brings his platform to that specific um, company, right? You would agree with that statement, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, but you've got to also remember, you know, these organizations are being hit with huge, humongous lawsuits. So there's, there's no way they're going to be able to afford to cover based off of claims that, that Donald Trump has made. So it's somewhat of a, of a risky marriage. Right, except the statements that somebody like Trump would make to a Chris Ruddy is that I've already peeled off 10 million viewers from Fox News. And these individuals, they're my people. And they want to hear what I have to say, which is why I'm the lead at CPAC. And then after me will be my kids. And after that will be Rudy. And by bringing me into your platform, we can actually charge $4.99 per month for these people to subscribe to what we will call, you know, Trump News Network Newsmax or Trump News Network OANN or something like that as a partnership whereby he doesn't have any expense to create the platform. And the belief is that he's able to peel off enough individuals to make it worthwhile to one of these other companies. That's my belief. Yeah, I think that prospect is something that makes Fox executives uh, nervous. Um, I think that's uh, certainly a prospect that is being entertained. Um, you know, we will just have to see how that that all shakes out. Yeah, well, rest assured, I'm certain that that's what he's going to do because if you look at the number of people that he believes that he could peel off or his really ardent supporters, if you could peel off 10 million of them out of the 100 million that he had on his social media and charge them this $4.99, $5 per month, you know, you're talking 600 million minimum a year of revenue stream coming in. That's pretty significant right off the rip. Yeah, I mean, th- th- there is a business model there. That's, that's, that's for certain. Right. You've covered a lot about Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell stories since joining the Daily Beast. Now, I'm curious if you read any of the books like Ticking Clock about the producer Ira Rosen's time at 60 Minutes as a um, producer for Mike Wallace. Because in that book, Rosen talks about a meeting that he had with Ghislaine Maxwell where Rosen claims that they discussed tapes made by Epstein of Donald Trump and Bill Clinton. Now, apparently, part of Epstein's power was not just that he brokered sex for powerful people with these young girls, but that he was also blackmailing them all at the same time. Now, I'm curious if you read the book and what you make of this claim. Um, lastly, furthermore, have you heard anything in accordance with what Rosen claims about Donald Trump himself? So, look, I haven't uh, read Ira's book, um, but what I will say is these mythical uh, tapes uh, that, um, you know, talk 
continues to circulate about. A lot of us have chased them. A lot uh, in in the journalism uh, world have tried to to uh, nail down. It would be a huge scoop, as you can imagine, if those tapes did exist. Uh, I compare some of this stuff to the mythical elevator tape that I think uh, you were quizzed about. Uh, a lot, which uh, was a tape alleged to involve Donald Trump assaulting Melania in an elevator. That was a, a story I, I reported on in a, a deep dive into TMZ and Harvey Levin's uh, relationship with Donald Trump. Uh, on that uh, situation, I, I ran it down and, and you know certainly couldn't ascertain if that tape ever existed. And similarly, on on these tapes, uh, all of uh, my FC reporting uh, and and my colleagues um, have have yet to surface the tapes. Well, you're right about that because um, the tapes, and I was very clear when I testified before the House Oversight Committee, and people asked me this questions. Uh, not only was it the allegation of Trump assaulting Melania in the elevator, but we go back to the most infamous of all tapes, these ghost tapes, which is the P-tape, right? Known as the P-tape of Donald Trump paying um, prostitutes in Moscow, Russia, to urinate on the bed that Barack Obama had slept in um, years ago when he was there in Russia. Now, I tried to explain this to many reporters that called me that didn't believe when I said that no such tape exists. And I tried to explain to them that if, in fact, it was true, right, and Donald Trump paid prostitutes or these women to come in and urinate on the bed, where would he sleep? So that in and of itself should basically denounce the existence of the tape. And I'm telling you, as I think I have in conversations before, as well as to all of the listeners, if there was a tape, you could rest assured, especially at this point in my life, I would tell you that I know of the existence of the tape. I have the tape. You know, I know who has the tape. It does not exist. And I tried, and I told this to the members of the Congress. If that tape existed, I would have owned it because I knew enough people that would have found it and I would have bought it. No different than the way that we had paid um, for with at the direction of and for the benefit of Donald Trump, the hush money NDA to Stormy Daniels. I would have owned that tape. And I'm telling you that these mythical tapes, they get started on these these foreign I believe, chat rooms, and then one thing turns to another, which then turns to another, and the next thing you know, you're responsible to answer questions about something that's made up by somebody sitting somewhere, maybe 5,000 miles away, and they're asking you to prove a negative, which is always impossible. Yeah, that's why I, I, I talk about them as mythical types. Uh, every reporter... Uh, you know, worth their salts, and I've been doing this 17 years, uh, would uh, want to uh, be able to break and, or confirm uh, some of this stuff, whether it relates to, to Trump or Ghislaine or, or Epstein. Uh, I really feel this is a, this is a furphy um, and, uh, and there's no, uh, you know, there are no tapes in, in existence. Well, let me ask you this question as we're beginning to kind of like wrap up to the hour and so on. Um, what question would you have as a journalist what question would you have for me today that is on your mind? Maybe it's not something that's even out there or reported as of yet, or maybe something that is reported that just 
the actual facts, the truth has not been put forth to, in this case, our listeners or to the readers. Yeah, I, I would like to, to know uh, what you think uh, Cy Vance is, is asking certain people that he's bringing in for, uh, for interviews right now. What specifically is he, is he looking at? I can't answer specifically that question. Um, I don't want to interfere in their investigation. I think it's too important. It's too relevant to not just today, but to the history and the future of this country um, in terms of the behavior of somebody who holds the highest office in the land. But what I will tell you is that the much of the information that's being sought or being looked at for prosecution are things that are out there that people know about. Obviously, the Stormy Daniels matter. I mean, that's just been talked about ad nauseum, and it is obviously one of the topics that they're looking at. Um, but as to the specific topics, there's there's more than a dozen topics that they're that they're investigating. And now that they received what I understand is more than a million pages of tax returns, that they're looking at that information in order to corroborate other information and other documents that they are currently in possession of in order to build the most rock-solid case, which, of course, is why they brought in the veteran Mark Pomerantz. And, and you know, who, 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 else, who else would you suggest would be uh, helping guide the likes of Pomerantz and, and Vance through this process that would have the industrial knowledge uh, like someone like yourself? Meaning, meaning what exactly? Like, how many other Michael Cohens are they speaking to at the moment, or who? Well, else? You know, there's only one Michael Cohen, but uh, you know, how many other people would have that deep uh, knowledge uh, of of the taxes of of different documents that could help um, push these things forward? Well, it's not just the tax documents themselves. It's all of the work product documents that are associated. So clearly the people from the accounting firm, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket science to a rocket scientist to figure that one out. The guy who prepared the returns, the people who were involved in the preparation of the returns are no doubtably. I mean, this isn't giving away any information. Anybody could clearly see that the persons who were involved in the production of the documents are somebody that I would want to speak to if I was in their position. But more than that, you know, the attorney, the DA's office has, you know, what, 400 attorneys, many of whom are pretty seasoned and pretty skilled individuals in their own right, including Cy Vance. And you could rest assured that this is not all falling on the hands of just, you know, one individual, meaning, you know, Mark Pomerantz or two individuals, Mark Pomerantz and Cy Vance. This is a very significant case, and it's one that they are acting methodically and incredibly professionally. And what, you know, their intent is, if in fact that there is information within which to bring an indictment, which I believe that there is, I think that you'll start to see indictments and documents uh, very, very soon. And when I say in short order, I'm talking uh, in real short order. I don't believe that, like I was watching um, one of the 
lawyers on television for one of the cable news channels yesterday. Oh, these types of cases take years, you know, and with Donald Trump and his knowledge of how to fuck around with the with the system and delay, delay. And this I know about delay. You know, I told you I have a lawsuit against the Trump organization. I mean, you fight for everything. I'm fighting to get Don Jr. as a, as a witness that they're supposed to, you know, um, produce. But right now, Don Jr. is too busy, according to his lawyers, um, despite the fact that the court ordered um, and claiming that, you know, he's got too much going on. Why? Running to CPAC or, you know, jumping around from, you know, one event to another or golf outing is more important than complying with the court. That's the Donald Trump tactic that he intends on using. But it's not going to work in this case. You know, there's an old expression. Numbers don't lie. People do. And here, as we know, Donald Trump, our liar-in-chief, lies the way that you breathe. But you can't lie when it's all predicated on a document. And they will get to the bottom of that number. They will get to the uh, work product that came to that number. And that, along with Trump's phony personal financial statements and the fact that he took over a hundred and what, 50 or 170 million dollars of tax rebates over the years. All of that is documented. And so it's just follow the, it's follow the money, follow the money, follow the money, which is Mark Pomerantz's expertise. Now couple that with a team of 400 people behind you, right? Each one getting five lines in a tax return. They're going to come up with the information that they're looking for relatively quickly. Well, I have one last question for you, and then I'm going to let you go. What are you working on these days that people don't know about? You know, what's something that, uh, you know, is piquing your interest outside of the DA, of course, though that is, of course, the topic of the day. You know, what are you working on that my listeners would find fascinating? Because I find your articles to be well-written and well-researched, which you don't really sometimes find a lot of. I think there's just too much um, acceptance of two sources as corroboration, and then they just write away. And I've, I've complained about this on previous podcasts, where if I was a journalist, and let's say I want to pump up Donald Trump and attack, say, Joe Biden on something, you get somebody like Corey Lewandowski and Dave Bossy to, to, you know, to corroborate a bogus false statement. Rancid quotes, as I, as I, as I say, um, you know, that doesn't do the reader any justice. Um, and it doesn't really help uh, journalism if you have a, a piece that has a couple of anonymous quotes or, or anonymous sources. I mean, I, I'm fascinated where these lawsuits go with Smartmatic and Dominion. I think that's going to be really interesting to watch as that plays out, who else they, they go after. Um, and I think what happens with conservative media, as we've just touched on, uh, what platform Donald Trump uh, seeks to um, uh, garner uh, to, to keep this movement going. Yeah. Well, Lachlan, let me turn around and say it's a pleasure having you on the podcast today. I always appreciate your insight. Um, if in fact that there comes a time that I am able to discuss and further of the DA's investigation with you, you know how to reach me. Um, and again, thank you so much for your time, your perspective and your insight. Cheers, Michael. See you later, my friend. And now for today's mea culpa. 
My conversation with Lachlan Cartwright has brought into view how crucial a role the courts will play in finally bringing an end to Donald Trump. His performance at CPAC proves that he is beyond evil and has morphed into a political golem of our time. That I helped create this man and then unleashed him upon our political system is something that I must answer for until my dying days. People like Donald Trump don't just happen by accident. They aren't just born evil and then unleashed upon society. Rather, Donald Trump was created and nurtured by hundreds of willing accomplices. Each of those individuals saw something they wanted from Trump and saw through his power or vast wealth a means of obtaining some grand prize, no matter the cost. The list of those who molded Trump is too long to list, but included some truly despicable individuals from his father Fred to Roy Cohn, Steve Bannon, and beyond. They poured the very worst of themselves into Trump and then watched the cancer metastasize. They built him up, gave him money, power, and fame, then literally handed him the keys to the most powerful nation on earth made him commander-in-chief of the world's most powerful military, and then, when it was almost too late, we took it all back. But for those who know Donald Trump as well as I do, he's going to do everything in his power to get it all back. We must prevent him from doing so at all costs. Part of my penance for creating this monster is to help put him in a cage where he can no longer do any damage. So please... Keep an eye on the courts and what's happening at the Manhattan DA. I will do my best to keep you as informed as possible without jeopardizing what is an ongoing investigation. But we are all close, folks, really close. Let's bring Trump to justice and end the nightmare once and for all. And thanks for listening. Maya Culpa is brought to you by LSJ Media and Audio Up in association with Midas Touch, and it's hosted by me, Michael Cohen. Produced by Audio Up by Jimmy Jelnick and executive producer Jared Gustav. And it's edited by Tyler Dawson. Please stay tuned as we focus on the changing political moment and this unprecedented transfer of power. I'll be with you every step of the way. Mea culpa. Nothing but the truth. This is my Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? 
Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, and Fire TV and start streaming now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free.